Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Free the Geek with me, Matthew Satter. It's the podcast about growing software development skills and building a rewarding software development career. In this week's episode, the first one back for the new season, if you will, I'm talking to my friend Matthew Turland about many things, a lot about PHP, a little bit of TypeScript, functional programming, and so many more interesting things. I'm sure that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I know I did, and I'll see you after the intro music. If you want to learn the essentials of developing and deploying applications with Docker Compose, especially if you've been struggling to figure out what you need to know while Googling, searching Stack Overflow, and various other forums, then you'll love Deploy with Docker Compose. It's a free book and course that teaches you the essentials of building images and deployment configurations, tagging images, and pushing them to remote container registries, how to debug applications running inside containers, how to debug containers when they don't work as expected, and how to deploy your application to a production environment or any other environment using Docker Compose. Now, it doesn't cover every possible Docker command, nor does it go absolutely super duper deep in depth about anything that you could know. It just covers the essentials that you need to know so that you can deploy your first application with confidence. And you also get a host of supporting information, tips, tricks, and pointers to help you out when you get stuck. Check it out today at deploywithdockercompose.com. at my previous job for about two years. The one that I'm in now, I started earlier this year. I've been at it uh, coming up on six months now. Um, so uh, one job that I'll try the last job, I was dealing with a combination of Node and PHP-based services uh, backed mostly by Mongo and some AWS services, uh, S3, and some others. Um, now, in this current role, I'm actually using TypeScript more and Postgres more. Mm -hmm. um, still AWS to to an extent, but uh, yeah, not as much. Not as not PHP in this gig, unfortunately. I've kind of uh, had to waffle back and forth between other tech stacks to. Uh, Stay to, to stay employed, I guess, as far as what's ideal for me. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think if there's anything in particular other than just kind of those highlights that's significant. Um, what do you what do you think of of TypeScript? Just curiously, I, this is and the question is coming from someone who has probably glossed over the first page of the docs. <laughs> But I heard a lot of people tweet about it and stuff. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag for me, 
honestly. Like, I do like some of the uh, the typing abilities that it gives you that native JavaScript doesn't have, and the, to a degree you kind of miss from PHP, especially looking at, like, recent RFCs that have come in for PHP, and you know some of the features that they're working on for, uh, for types. Um, TypeScript gives you some of that, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It, um, it, it certainly can feel awkward in places. Uh, it can feel to a degree, like in the, in the rare case, that you kind of have to work around the language. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if it's... I'm not, sure that I've, I'm not sure if I personally find it worth the added effort myself. Sorry, what, what was that last bit? Uh, I was saying I'm not sure if I find it worth the added effort, like in terms ah, okay. of integrating it into the tool chain, you know, having a, an actual build process beyond what you would see um, in your, your typical JavaScript setup these days. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. So it, it wouldn't be like your like the the language you would turn to as a I'm gonna I'm gonna um, build something I'm gonna turn to TypeScript. It wouldn't sort of be jumping out at you as the first thing that you thought of. Yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I still like just regular old JavaScript personally, um, mm -hmm. and I like PHP of course. Uh, the last I think probably in general I reach for PHP. I think partly for familiarity, partly because the language is still developing. Mm. Um, yeah, the last few side projects that I've done have still been in PHP, and I still try to keep sort of a finger on the pulse of the community on Twitter and uh, and Discord and what have you. Mm -hmm. What would be kind of kind of like diving over to that of the RFCs that you've read through the last couple of months? Is there kind of any one or two that sort of really grab you as that's particularly exciting? I guess you know, there's there's, there's seeing them and saying it's yeah it's having a general positive sense of the language is continuing to develop and grow and so forth. So it's, it's clearly not dead despite, despite what people regularly say every six months. Yeah. But is there of those RFCs, any one or two or a few that just, just kind of, I don't know, get you excited, get you interested and say, that's, that's really compelling. Oh, sorry to put you on the spot. No, no, you're fine. I mean, admittedly, like, it's, like, you know, I, I do try to keep an eye on them, uh, uh, probably, you know, probably not as much as I would be if it was still my, the primary language that I worked with. Uh, I don't know that I'd say that anything jumps out at me as super compelling. Um, I, I mean, a lot of the developments seem like sort of natural continuations of a lot of the stuff that came before in terms of, you know, like, building on the type enhancements that have been made and, uh, I uh, see there's one in there for traits, um, you know, just kind of generally cleaning up the language, uh, trying to make it more consistent. I mean, you know, all good things, certainly. Um, mm. Don't get me wrong. Just, um, yeah, nothing as far as, like, something that I would say is, like, a killer feature or something that I think would significantly improve my productivity with it. Here's one I'll throw out. I was just looking at it the other day. It's promoting, what's, what's the one? Null and false, but not true, or something. And and there was the was it the, the argument that should true have also been a type because of was it being a unit type? I, I, 
I believe that false, uh, I think I kind of know what you're talking about. I'm not sure mm. if I remember the specific RFC, but I do remember some discussion. Um, I think false was included in that mostly to ease transition because a lot of native core functions tended to return false as a result. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I do, I do remember that. And I, yeah, I kind of filed that under just, you know, to, I, I guess to a degree cleanup or consistency to some extent. Um, I mean, I, one thing that I, I would like to see if you've ever talked to Larry Garfield or read his book, uh, PHP is like, it's, it's not that it doesn't support functional or procedural. Um, but it, it's as far as like functional programming, it, it's kind of not, you know, it's not, it's not first, most people's first choice. I don't think it supports it to the extent that it could as a language, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's interested in being multi-paradigm and obviously the predominant paradigm in the community is still object-oriented but um, I I think if there were things that the language could do theoretically if the enhancements were added that might get me excited I think it would probably fall under those Um, I think more and more I'm finding that while functional is hard to learn and there's certainly a learning curve to it and it definitely requires a different mindset I think um, in terms of things like type safety and being able to express things in a way that's concise and avoiding side effects and just things like that, functional programming definitely is something that I think is underrated and not, not, a people, not enough people really stop to look at closely enough. I'll have to put up my, my proverbial hand and say I actually haven't really looked at it, though you and a number, oh, a, a good number of other you know people i trust have all said it's worth it's if pretty much the same thing if you don't do it sort of as as your main um paradigm it's definitely worth at least learning or starting to learn about for the benefits that it will bring to how you think yeah i'm inclined to agree um like i believe uh, unfortunately i can't cite any specifics about it but i know that some studies have been done that show that a lot of programming mistakes tend to come from state mutation. And that's one of the things that you typically either lose or have to be a lot more explicit about it when you use it in functional programming versus other paradigms. Okay. Um, and I think that's partly what requires such a change because you're, you're having to think in terms of states and transitions from one to another without uh, retaining things or being able to mutate things. And the way that you're probably used to if you're used to something more imperative or procedural. That that sort of got me thinking about... I remember listening to, to Bob Martin when he gave a talk about OOP programming. And it started to change my perspective to it. Unfortunately, I'm not sort of around uh, on top of it as much as I should to probably do justice to what I'm about to say, but I'll try. <laughs> he... he and I know he's can be a little bit, you know, people can be quite um, for or against him. That's not a conversation that I'm wanting to touch. It was just this particular com- conversation he had grabbed my ear. And he talked about, or there was, there was a discussion as part of his presentation about OOP and what is, like, what is OOP? What is, what is, how do you properly do it? And there are a number of people in the audience kind of listed off the, the, 
you know, the, the various things that you do with OOP is it an inheritance and extension and, and so forth. And he kept throwing back when people like all of the things that I think he asked people for, like what a what what should a good OOP language have? And people would list off um, various uh, attributes about their language of choice. And he would keep mentioning, yeah, you can do this in C. And what about this? You can do that as well. Okay, there's not a, like an explicit keyword for it, but you can still do it. And then it, and this is the part where it just morphed for me. He, he which now nah, I'll, I'll stop because I'll just make myself look like an ass. But it was just how he described what is OOP programming and what is kind of like the, the, the myth, perhaps? Like a misunderstanding of what it is and what is it really. And I wish I was good enough to actually kind of have that conversation. And something in what you just said then, I'm sorry I'm being so vague and abstract, just sort of got me thinking about that, about kind of looking beyond the, what's the right term? The the shiny, the kind of, when you do a Google search and the, and the first 20 results all give you the same cookie cutter advice. And then buried in there, or maybe a few pages later, you find someone who really, really knows what they're talking about and actually cuts down to the, the detail of it. That that presentation for me was kind of it. It was kind of cutting beyond the, the, the usual cookie-cutter marketing promotion that you'll hear about any language and kind of got to the core of it. And I'm going to stop meandering. But So, so I'll speak to that with a few points. Um, mm-hmm. So, one... This is only kind of tangentially related, but you know, I, I've heard it. Like, there, there's there's a few different there's different camps as to whether or not any given person can code. And I would say any given person can code. You don't necessarily want to use the code that any given person writes. <laughs> um, mm. So that's you know one way to look at it. But um, another, I think, is you know, but. but, but the analogy I'm drawing there is, yeah, you can probably write most things in C, but do you want to? <laughs> true, true. Um, another thing I think I'll say is that I've worked for a lot of different companies and a lot of different industries doing a lot of different things. And you know, as much as some engineers might have an ego about what they do and think that it's particularly unique or profound or significant at the end of the day a lot of us are just the digital equivalent of paper pushers we move data from one place to another that's what we do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know i think a lot of languages aim to be general purpose and useful and to a degree you know a lot the mainstream languages succeed in that but I think the language that would be particularly successful, and I don't know that there's that I would point to one in particular as having fulfilled this, is one that makes that easy, that make that reduces the friction involved in that process and being able to take data, whether it's from uh, an HTTP request payload or a text file or a database or wherever, and be able to tweak it or transform it and then be able to push it somewhere else. Because that, I'd say, is probably like 90, 95% of what we do. I think um, someone... Yeah, sorry, please. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I, I think that reminded me of something. Uh, there was some discussion I was I was reading, and people were talking about... Ah, oh, that was it. Uh, I think it was like on, on recruiter interviews or something like that, or algorithms. And 
and bubble sorts and so forth. And can you spot this algorithm or can you implement this one or something like this? And someone retorted in the comments going, you realize that 95% of programmers are just pulling data from some spot, putting it over to another spot, right? You're not actually implementing this kind of stuff. Yes, there are people that do do it and people who, I guess, you get into a certain kind of like programming, whether you do as a kernel code or whatnot. And there are people who are quite exceptional with data structures and so forth. But yeah, the majority of people who I think I would talk to or the stories that I would hear is generally pull data from here, transform it in some way, perhaps add to it, remove or subtract from it, and then store it over there or send it on to something over there. Like my, uh, I had a uni lecturer years ago. He was, from what I could read of his code, he was actually quite gifted. His language of choice was Ada, um, just for the conversation. Oh my God, you got him talking about Ada and just get yourself a coffee or a tea and settle in. Because <laughs> he would he would talk your ear off about it. Um, see, he wasn't so keen. But that was what he said. He's basically just, was it input, processing, output? And there is a, a realm of programming which actually gets quite sophisticated. But yeah, on the, on the whole, he kind of shot us down one day. He said, look, don't get too excited. One or two of you might be, do something sophisticated. The rest of you probably probably won't. But that's okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I have never actually heard of a person who has written code in Ada before. The only time that I had heard about it was in the history portion of computer science courses. I mean, it, it, from what I remember, it was fairly novel for its time insofar as I believe it was originally developed for uh, for government or military applications. So, I mean, the language itself was intended to be fairly solid, stable, uh, you know, strict. But yeah, no, I, I'd be inclined to agree with them. And like a lot of... Like, the, the way that I've started to kind of think about programming is just in that same vein of being able to accept data, try, do something with it, and then push it off somewhere else. And it's it's in that if you try to think of it in terms of, like, a pipeline where, you know, it's it's just it's a, a given input and some eventual output going, uh, going somewhere else, you know, it, I think that can simplify thinking in a lot of instances. And... I think that's very much how functional programming as a paradigm operates. It's, it seems oversimplistic, but it's, it's you know, <laughs> a lot of times it just comes down to that input-output. Yeah, no, that, like, it makes a lot of sense. And I remember listening to, there, there was a talk years ago at Google by Linus Torvalds, and um, he, he, there was a point he made in there, I think, about halfway through, and he talked about not, what did he say? He was kind of self-deprecating. And he said that, I think his, if I get it right, his, his focus actually was on not the data structures per se, but what would I be working with and not doing fancy algorithms and so forth. It's like, well, what am I going to have to use for the majority of the time or what things will I be working with? Okay, so what's the most logical um, structure to store that in and then how do I get it into that process it and how do I get it out of that and if I remember correctly because there were people talking about algorithms or something and he said look I'm there are people far better than me at doing that he said but that's not how I think about it I just think well how what am I working with 
and how can I best manage that? And beyond that, whatever, I don't care. So yeah, this just from, from you saying that there's like so many kind of sliver, shards of different things I've heard pe- uh, people say kind of coming back now. So it kind of it's also reassuring too, because I'd, I'd love to kind of know lots of algorithms and be able to work with them. <laughs> I'd love to, but in, in a lot of ways, it's very reassuring, you know, hearing what you're saying. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. I, that actually reminded me a bit of um, an earlier discussion this week, uh, alluding to kind of the state of uh, code sharing, package management, and so forth in Python, and how I think a lot of our developers in the PHP community th- are thankful every day for Composer for being a much more <laughs> easy solution to work with. But yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting how often it comes down to, like, at least when you're considering something for a greenfield project, mm. um, what, you know, as far as, like you said, how to manage it, whether it's you're considering community support or uh, logistical things like package management or, uh, or testing, um, just, you know, things that are inherent to the life cycle, a lot of times can end up being more important than the language itself. I got in uh, one, one on the point of that, I think is Java. I got into it back in, well, it was the language I learned at uni because that was what the curriculum had dictated. You know, you will learn to do OOP programming, you'll do it with Java kind of thing. It's like, all right, whatever. Um, and back in those days, and that was in 1990, yeah, last millennia, uh, <clears throat> slightly gray and white hair, but anyway, um, 97, 98. And it, well, I swear it was really kind of simple at the time. But these days, at least until I kind of actually put sat down, put some effort in again um, to sort of stick with it for about a week, uh, there was just so much, there seemed to be sort of so much boilerplate to get running. And there was a whole stack load of assumed knowledge as well. And it took sitting down with a friend of mine who was a, who was a, a day in day out Java developer of many, many years to say, look, I keep coming up at dead ends here, 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 and here. And he said, all right, let's start with point number one and we'll work through to point number five. Whereas with something like PHP or to a slightly lesser degree, Go, maybe also Ruby, you can just start. And so there, and, and perhaps this is just an outsider to Java, right? You know, you, anything that you're new to is going to be strange, is going to be weird. It's like, well, what is this and where do I, and what, what questions do I even ask? But it felt for me with Java, there was just so much of that going on. And I looked at, to have one particular reference, it was the Spark Java framework or the Spark framework. Mm-hmm. In the docs, it says, here is, it was very kind of Sinatra in how this is how you define a route, this is how you do DI, um, et cetera, et cetera. And this is how you pass uh, into if you're doing like a template or to a response. Great. But then I thought, well, okay, how do I run this? And what I found out later, well, as far as I know, was that there was the assumption that you would just know how to use either Maven or Gradle or both. And you would just know how they work. And you would know something like IntelliJ or Eclipse that would just bootstrap a project for you. And they would have these things ready. And you would just put this bit of code in and run it. And hats off, when it was running, yeah, it was great. It was, it was as easy as the docs said, 
it was just all the rest of the assumptions. Whereas I have not found that with, well, okay, I'm most familiar with PHP, so I, that's fine. But I wrote um, a small, well, it's not complete, but I started writing it, a macro for um, ASCII Doctor because um, I've, the latest book I self-published, the source material works for both a book and a course. And so I wanted it to be, depending on the output format, to say in this chapter or this module or in the book or in the course. And so if I was reading it, it I wouldn't say flub and say book. And in the book, it wouldn't say course kind of thing. But the, the, like the, the use of the word book or course would be either, you know, like initial capitalization or all lowercase and whatnot. And um, you can add macros to ASCII doctor, but you they're written in Ruby. And for the most part, I downloaded Ruby mine because I thought, oh, well, I'll just, I like the IntelliJ IDEs. And I looked at the source of like a person had a blog post on this is how you write one. And it was pretty much as, as it says on the proverbial tin. I had like, I had a version of Ruby installed. I could kind of take what they worked with, follow the structure. And you kind of up and running. The thing that took the longest was getting RSpec going, the one of their testing frameworks. But I think it was something like installing it and then reloading the shell or whatever. You know, it was kind of like night and day. So I, you know, I kind of get the point. Like, it's it's one thing to to write something, but then to actually uh, to test it, to run it, to deploy it. You know, the thing so that. You can take that code that you wrote on your friendly, nice, love, lovely computer in the comfort of your own home or office and actually get it to someone else so they can use it. All that stuff. That stuff to me is worth like a, a whole mountain more in many ways. Yeah, Java is kind of interesting in that respect. Like it's not, it's not actually that much older than some of the other languages you mentioned. I don't know if it was just the, you know, the right once run everywhere, pseudo truth, pseudo myth. <laughs> and the use in the enterprise and i think just kind of from that probably maybe it may be a promise of employment that led a lot of people to adopt early and at this point you're kind of left with a lot of old guard that don't necessarily remember what newbies don't know and so to a degree they kind of assume a lot of knowledge mm. So, no, I feel that. I've, I've definitely seen that before. Uh, there, there was a reason that I was able to craft an hour presentation on the Jersey framework. It stocks, I think, tended to assume that you were able to know or f easily figure out a lot of things. And I still have people that refer to those slides and thank me for them. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, I gave that presentation at Confu. Surprisingly, I think I probably pitched half a dozen PHP talks and I threw in this Java talk because I had had to work on a project at work that used this framework mm -hmm. and, the, and the Java presentation was the only one that they picked. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was in a room full of Java developers that like, you know, see, you could tell they were seasoned ones. Thankfully, mm -hmm. they, they weren't too difficult to room. <laughs> so yeah, funny experience. So was it, you said it was at Confu that you, that you did the Java talk. Yeah, uh, 2011, I think. Okay. So it's, it's just interesting, like, so you pitch all the other ones, and they take the Java one. I, I think, like, I know that there were some people who I think predominantly dealt with PHP running the conference, so it might have been sort of a, like, you know, it's, it's a multi, 
stat conference, it, it may have just been that they had trouble finding people who knew Java mm-hmm. who were willing to present, and they and they were trying to allocate talks so that the tracks were somewhat mm-hmm. yeah. equal. I don't know. I give like enough diversity. Yeah. No, I I, I agree with your point. I like I don't want to hate on anything, and so if 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 how I say something comes across that way. Uh, call me out on it um i'm not the <laughs> the young microsoft hater i once used to be um oh fan <laughs> on heart i used to be i just hated it i just heckle i'd never be mean to someone i just hated the, the, the stuff itself i think um I, th- I think programming languages are kind of like uh smartphones to a lesser degree generally people like one of uh android mm. or iphone and that's just, you know, either one kind of appeals to a certain audience, you either love it or you hate it. Languages aren't quite so polarizing, but, like, I think they kind of, like, languages just fit some people yeah. better. You know? And I think a lot of it at the end of the day comes down to what are you more productive with and what are you going to be able to hire people to be able to write in and what kind of ecosystem does it have yep. are built around it, less so than the language itself. Yeah, I have to agree. I think there's just there's a certain um, this is this is tangentially related. Not wanting to intentionally segue, but there was a if only I could ever find it because I've referenced it to several people. There was an excellent talk by I think it was a professor at the London School of Economics. I think that was where it was, um, and it the, the the talk was on does. Uh, language follow culture or does culture follow language and i think in, there are a lot of parallels w- with with this and sort of computer programming and one of the the i guess the ultimate rub was both of them sort of inform each other but um what i'm meaning with that is that i think that the reasoning behind perhaps why language was developed the kind of things it solves and the the way it it solves them as you said, like appeals to a certain kind of person. Yeah, they they think in a similar way. They perhaps had similar experiences. They would approach something in the same way, and it sort of just it just clicks. Um, whereas to someone else, it's just why would you do it that way? That's just completely bizarre. Perhaps because of a um, a lack of experience or lack of uh, overlapping experience. Uh, though having said that. Though I've been spending a lot of time lately learning Go, I the, the more I use it, this slowly, the more I come to like it. I don't know that it would ever be a language that I would say it just fits like a glove. It it just the way it works, I I I totally relate to. There are parts of it that I think that that's actually really cool. I like, you know, that makes sense. Actually, interfaces totally makes sense and i really like it but there is enough aspects where it it, perhaps i sort of spent too long doing php and didn't seek to become a polyglot developer sooner perhaps that's part of the problem like you know like learning a language later in life versus learning it as a child um but i know with other things like what was one i think it was i think it was even ruby and a bit of python they something about those click more they sort of click easier whereas i find with go i've kind of got to push i kind of push myself to learn java at times because 
it was sort of what I started with years ago. So it's kind of maybe a sense of reminiscing. But yeah, I kind of feel certain languages just appeal in certain ways. And I think there's a certain tribal nature to it as well. You know, you kind of find your tribe and you feel at home there. And you kind of maybe want to defend that to others in a, in a weird kind of way. I think that's definitely true. Um, I mean, I've, I've, despite not having programmed PHP for, you know, consecutively throughout my career and having had spots where I was dealing with a different stack, I kept coming back to the community and trying to stay present in it because I think it has one of the better, you know, just my opinion, it has one of the better language communities. Um, but uh, yeah, to your point about Ruby and uh, Python, I think both of them tended to use uh, ease of use or principle of least surprise as one of their driving focuses in designing the language, at least at least in the beginning. I mean, I mean, Python, you know, has expanded to a lot of different places that you might have figured Java would have ended up as well. Uh, it's it ended up being, I think, more regularly used for uh, for new programmers to try to learn. Um, I've seen it used at the very least for like courses for non-majors in universities uh, or for earlier four-majors courses in computer science. So, um, yeah, I mean, different languages have different focuses. Let's say some of them are looking to be more robust or well-rounded or general purpose and not necessarily focus on ease of use or ease of introduction. Yeah, true. And sort of focusing on a particular pro problem domain which may have, by by virtue, a higher barrier to entry. And I think that, um, like, the, there, I think there's been somewhat of a resurgence of an interest in developing new languages uh, in recent years. And everyone has, once in a while, I'll see a new one that someone's written that may have a, a few new ideas or two. And I think it, that's a good thing. I Even if none of them gain wide adoption, they're helping mm -hmm. to spread ideas. Which is always good, just even if it just gets you to just think for a moment and kind of stop. Yep. Well, at this point, I appreciate that you have to go kind of soonish, and I don't want to kind of pull this too close to time. So, as I used to do, and I'd like to keep the tradition going, if there's anything that you want to sort of plug or mention, the floor is yours, good sir. Sure. Um, if you'd care to find me, I'm at matthewturlin.com. I'm pretty easy to find on Google. Um, I have a relatively recent book on web scraping with PHP. It's in its second edition, put out by PHP Architect Press that's out there. Um, no active projects to speak of at the moment, but uh, watch that space. Cool. I will have a link to all of those in the show notes for this episode. But as always, it's always wonderful to chat to you, good sir. Likewise, good sir. It's my pleasure. Thank you very, very much for your time today. And that's a wrap for this episode. You can find more about anything you've heard in today's episode by going to freethegeek.fm. That's freethegeek.fm. If you've enjoyed the episode, I'd love it if you'd give it a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Alternatively, please leave a comment in the episode discussion. I'd love to know what you think, what you thought was good, what could do with a bit more work, etc., etc. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.